But as we dive into the Word of God this morning, I want to start by telling a story. That's more of a issue that I have. We have a wonderful thing in our house. I was so excited about it when we bought our house. We have this beautiful fireplace right in our living room. That doesn't work. I was so excited about it. When we first were checking out the house, it was winter time, and so I was like, I flicked the switch on, it's a gas fireplace, and I was like, this is amazing, it works. The fireplace turned right on, and I, I kid you not, probably two months into living in our house, for some reason it stopped working. So it was enough to pass a home inspection, it was enough to pass, you know, the eye test when we first bought the house, and then all of a sudden, ever since, it's not been working. And so we called a guy. I don't know what the guy is called, but he's some guy who works on broken fireplaces. And he came over and he was doing his thing. He got under there and was looking at it. And he quickly diagnosed the problem that there was one tiny nozzle to a valve that was malfunctioned. That was it. It was just like this big. And so I was like, oh, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal. Like, how much is it going to cost to cover it? And he said, you know, I don't know, somewhere around $400. I was like, bro, I'm a youth pastor. I don't make that much. Uh, that's, that's not happening. This was, I don't know how long ago that was. And, uh, and so I said, you know what? I think we can go without the fireplace. And so the irony is we had our TV above our fireplace, um, and we still do. And, and so every once in a while, we will put a YouTube video on with a crackling fireplace <laughs> right above our fireplace. Here's the thing. Sometimes everything goes wrong when just one thing goes wrong. And then when you get that one thing right, it makes a world of difference. My goal this morning, as we open the Word of God, is very singular. My only aim today, and I think this is the only goal of our text, is to persuade you to believe one thing. And I'm convinced that if you come to fully believe this one thing, that you are actually going to start seeing God work in amazing ways in your life. You, you are going to experience the radical power of God's Holy Spirit moving in you and through you in your life in ways that this world will be very noticing, very much noticing. I'm convinced that when you believe and you're persuaded of this one thing, this world gets a delicious taste of divine glory and grace. See, sometimes everything goes wrong when one thing goes wrong, but then when you make that one thing right, it makes a world of difference. And I think this is what the Apostle Paul is passionately trying to persuade the Galatian Christians of. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. If you're able to, we're going to stand up and we're going to read this all together. Galatians chapter 3, we're just going to read the first five verses. But keep, keep your Bible open because... It will be difficult for you to hear the Word of God on a consistent basis if your Bible is closed. Amen? All right, let's read together. It says this. O foolish Galatians, who has cast an evil spell on you, for the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made as clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on the cross. Let me ask you this one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed the message you heard about Christ. How foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? I ask you again, 
Does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ. Jesus, I ask this morning very one, one very simple thing, that you would persuade us to believe the message of the gospel. Lord, identify in our hearts, in our lives, where we are deficient in this one thing. And I pray that you would convict us and comfort us and challenge us and point us to freedom in the ways that your word is designed to speak. And I pray that our hearts would be soft to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. You can have a seat. I read this passage and I'm just like, okay, Paul, sound off. Right? What a way to transition into the main meat of the letter. If you notice, the last couple chapters that we've been going over in the last few weeks, Galatians chapter 1, Galatians chapter 2, very autobiographical. Paul is describing some of the experiences that he's had with Jesus and with the Galatian Christians. And we get to chapter 3, and the focus begins to shift a little into the main teaching section. The real reason that the apostle is writing this letter to the Christians in Galatia. And so he launches in this, into this, this, um, this theological discussion, chapters 3, 4, and 5, and he is pulling no punches. Right? So to give a little context, the beginning of chapter 3 seems to indicate that the Galatians were quite enthralled, quite fascinated with supernatural experiences and manifestations of the Holy Spirit in their midst. And at the same time, their grasp on fundamental truths of the gospel was next to nothing. They, they had divorced the experiential from the doctrinal. And I think this is one of the most dangerous dichotomies as a Christian that you can fall into. To separate what you've experienced from what you know to be true. And Paul didn't say, let me just get this out there, first of all. Paul did not say that they had a less than genuine experience of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul is arguing from the exact opposite premise. He is assuming, since they had certainly received the Holy Spirit, and they certainly had witnessed his mighty works, he even referenced miracles among them, why in the world are they, are they regressing from living in the Spirit to now living according to the flesh? Why in the world are they falling from faith to works, from grace to law? This is what he's getting at. The answer, I think, implied in his critical address is somehow the harmony between sound doctrine and spirit-filled living had gotten out of balance. And this is the problem that he is writing to address in the Galatian churches. They had become undisciplined in their thinking. Incomplete theology was what governed their experience. Okay? And, and so he's, he's curious, like, how does this happen? Let me ask this one question of you. Who has cast an evil spell on you? Or as some translations say, who, who has bewitched you? Implying that th this, there was this like, spiritual, sinister, supernatural plot that had actually overtaken them and begun to wreak havoc in their experience of the body of Christ. Somehow, someone had misled the Galatians, leaving them deficient 
in their understanding and vulnerable, as a result, vulnerable to the evil forces at play. I, ho I hope you don't miss this, that Satan would love to disrupt your life, not just from the outside of these walls. Please, please don't misunderstand the danger of following Jesus, that this is a thing that is a threat to the kingdom of Satan. Amen? This is something that the enemy would love to make crumble from the inside out. And one of the ways that the Apostle Paul points out that the enemy was beginning to work in some sinister way was that it was possible to be misled, to be uh, under this some sort of spell where they had divorced experience from theology. And, and so you can reduce the problem here to two main things. Number one, they were foolish. And number two, they were under a spell. They were foolish and they were under a spell. Now, I get that this sounds kind of harsh. But here is an apostle who loves them. He's their pastor. He's their shepherd. And he says, oh, foolish Galatians. Foolish, foolish. He says this actually twice. He says it again in verse 3. Um, in other words, you're not thinking. You're not using your brains. You love God with your heart and your soul, but you stopped loving him with your mind. Right? The greatest command is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I think a lot of times we just like three of those. He's like, listen, you guys, you need to know what the scriptures teach. You need to understand God's word. And so there's this, there's this pastoral and fatherly rebuke happening. And I said this a couple weeks ago, but one of the translators of this text, um, his name is J.B. Phillips, and one of his translations that could be used is, Oh, you beloved idiots! You stopped thinking. So these Galatians, they're foolish, but they're also under a spell. They're bewitched. This phrase of like this evil eye that they'd become under, and they were kind of being led around in a way that was unnatural. They become foolish without understanding, and they're under this spell. Now, as a pastor, I want to say this, that one of the things that concerns me so much is that so many times people are lacking in a knowledge of God's word. Um, so they can easily become enchanted with the spirit of the age or the deceptive pull of culture. Even here in northern Michigan, even here in, in our church, in my own life, in your own life, the danger remains. You need to not only know your Bible so that you're not without understanding, but you need to be careful that you don't just follow individuals or trends just because you get caught up in it and it sounds fun and it's charismatic and it's dynamic and it's wonderful and somebody's personality makes you feel really good and they're popular or maybe they wrote a lot of books or they're on TV, right? Like the danger is that we get pulled into this spell where we're caught up in the experience and we stopped thinking. And this is no more dangerous than here when it comes to the body of Christ in the Word of God. It's so very important that you, when, when you're following spiritual leaders, you're not only assessing what they say, but you're assessing, are their methods, are their characters meeting the Word of God's standards? Like this, this is the thing 
under which we should find our authority. This is the thing where we are under the influence. And if we find ourselves kind of rationalizing this because we're under the influence of something else, this is what Paul says is bewitching. Whenever the Bible is opened in a church setting, the goal should be to go into the text, let Scripture speak for itself, let the text do the speaking, not add to the Scriptures, not take away from the Scriptures, so that we can unveil the truth of the Bible, because this is God's revelation to you. This has not changed. This is how God reveals Himself to you, primarily. And so if you become deficient in your understanding of this, the danger becomes quite significant. This is where the Galatian Christians seemed to go wrong. They were foolish, and they were under some sort of evil spell. And, and so for the Apostle Paul, you've got to imagine, how do you, how do you teach them? Well, I think one of the best ways that you can teach somebody for, so they can truly grasp it themselves is begin to ask them questions and allow them to come to an understanding themselves. All right, I'm not just going to tell you something. Let me, let me just try to like weed out where is the deficiency. Where have you gone wrong? And so he asks a series of six questions to these Galatians. And I, I think really they can be boiled down to um, one question, which is this. I, I would like to learn something from you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law or by believing the message that you heard? Did you believe or did you receive the Spirit by obeying the law or by believing the message you heard. And essentially, he's, he's trying to get to this one thing that they could not deny. He's trying to uncover this one truth, that the reality of the new life they had received in Jesus Christ came one of those ways. This new life you have, this freedom you have, this forgiveness you have, this eternal destiny you have. Did you get that by all these amazing works that you did? Did you receive the Holy Spirit by observing the law, by believing what you heard? Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Do you have the Holy Spirit because you were circumcised? Do you have the Holy Spirit because you perfectly follow all the Ten Commandments? You worship on the right day. You, you lived up to certain rules or laws. You were baptized or confirmed or went through catechism. Do you have the Holy Spirit because you sang hymns instead of modern worship songs? Do you have the Holy Spirit because you came to church with no holes in your jeans and your shirt was always tucked in, right? Do you have the Holy Spirit because you tried really hard to be good and respectable? Or you faithfully served in Sunday school? Or, or, or you led a middle school boys small group? Or, or you said the right religious phrases in the right order? Or you drove the church fan, van? Or, or you subscribed to all the right theology podcast. You're doing all these right things. You kissed dating goodbye. You heard Jesus calling. You ruthlessly eliminated hurry. You became wild at heart. Or Like, how did you get the Holy Spirit? Do you have the Holy Spirit because you lived up to someone else's expectation of your religious performance? And, and these are worth serious consideration, these questions... Because even though the statement of belief in these Galatian churches would probably say one thing, Paul's trying to get at the fact that how you're living actually indicates a different set of beliefs. So the answer to the question in verse 2, did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? No. Then how did you? By faith. By faith. That's right. 
And I want you to note that there's no other options that Paul gives. Either you work for it or God gave it to you by trusting him. Either you earned God's Holy Spirit or you didn't. And this is, a key, this is key because there's no third option. It, he's like, think about your own experience. Go back to what you've experienced when you were saved. How did you get the Holy Spirit? You believed in Jesus Christ. You believed the message of the gospel. That was it. Now, something runs through this whole passage, and I think it's just marvelous, and I don't want to move on be, before I, I nail this down. I don't want you to miss the truth that God never justifies anyone, never declares them righteous before him without fully giving somebody the Holy Spirit. When you are saved, the moment you are saved, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You're given the gift of the Holy Spirit immediately when your faith is placed in Jesus. As a matter of fact, there's a whole package of blessings that come as a result the moment you believe in Jesus, the moment that you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You're declared righteous, you're justified, you're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit till the day of redemption, you're redeemed by God, you're made a child of God, not just born into God's family, but adopted into God's family, made a full adult child, fully capable of receiving all the benefits and blessings of being called God's child. And so he says in verse 2, when, when you were saved and you became a Christian, it didn't just happen because you performed really well in a religious system. You were justified. You received the Holy Spirit when you believed by faith. So how foolish can you be? Verse 3. After starting your new life in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect in your own human effort? Have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it wasn't in vain, was it? In other words, if trying to become perfect on your own was a strategy that God had designed, it would have worked by now. You'd be there by now. I see how hard you're working. I see how much you hate your sin. I see how much you want to rid yourself of your imperfections and your weaknesses and your wickedness. And you want to win the war that is your, the spiritual battle that you're in. I see how hard you're trying. And if the goal was to struggle just harder, it would have worked by now. Have you experienced so much for nothing? The whole point of this question is to demonstrate the deeper truth that God does not expect you to figure it all out on your own and to be strong enough. That's why the one single answer is, of course not. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ. That's why you see God working in your life. That's why you have spiritual power. In other words, your strength, your efforts, your perfection have never been the point. So what's the alternative that... We're supposed to understand what is the opposite truth. It's this, that you were saved through the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Once you put your faith in Jesus Christ and in the same way, you are made the complete package. Your, your faith is completed, perfected through the efforts of the Spirit who now lives in you by faith. So, so think about it this way. You don't taste freedom in the spirit without trusting the gospel when you hear it. 
That's not how it worked when you first got saved. And God didn't change his game plan. You're not going to taste freedom in the Spirit until you believe the gospel when you hear it. It's not just a one-time thing. In other words, you are going to see God working in your life. You're going to overcome sin when you truly believe the gospel. Not just one time when you became a Christian, but every single day. And Paul's getting at here is it's apparently possible to live like you're under a spell, to not have freedom. It's possible to, to believe in Jesus, to be justified by the Father, be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and not live free. To live like you've been under a spell. If you, if you truly want to mean, uh, experience what it means for God to work in you and to move powerfully through you, you want to see God's church on the move, taking back ground from the enemy, it doesn't happen when we just get our programs right. When our religious performance is, is a little bit better than it used to be. When we've been giving God our best. God's not looking for your best. Because that was never enough in the first place. This happens when we actually live like we believe the gospel and we're willing to bank our lives on it. Freedom is the fruit that grows on the vine of faith. Freedom in Christ Jesus is the fruit that, that begins to grow in our lives through the faith that we live in. When we live by faith, when we live as if we believe the gospel and we put our lives on the line for it. You can't just say you agree with the Bible. You have to actually live like you agree with and believe the gospel. You don't taste freedom in the spirit without believing the gospel when you hear it. You see, one of the most dangerous strategies that Satan uses against the church is not actually total opposition from the outside. It's not when he wants to shut our churches down. It's what happens from within that brings us to our knees. It's deceptive seduction from within. If Satan can get you to stop believing the gospel instead get you caught up in the sensationalism of emotional experiences or even just the routine of doing church, then he can weaken the impact and the influence of the bride of Christ. I think in many ways the simple encouragement of this passage is you're going to see God at work in your life, you're going to overcome sin when you actually believe the gospel. Period. In fact, this whole idea of fighting to overcome sin in your life is actually rather fruitless. It's fighting to strive against it in your own power, right? Here's the important question. How does God set you free from sin? How do you experience the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? I think the common understanding is that freedom from sin comes from increased self-control or through daily habits. And while these things are good, it doesn't take me long to realize that they're eventually going to fail me miserably. Because freedom from sin does not come from strengthening my old man. But through crucifying him. key to receive freedom is not to fight harder, but to die to yourself and simply receive what Jesus has already done on your behalf. 
somehow to know that you're totally justified, that you're forgiven, that you're freed, that, that your sin has been paid for, that your victory is already won. That is the knowledge. That is the, um, the, the realization that empowers your work for God. There's joy and there's freedom there. The man who has been set free by the, by the gospel, by believing what God has already done for him and what God has made available for him already in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, the man who believes the gospel is truly free to live and to worship and to work with a sense of weightlessness. This is the person who truly has experienced freedom in the Spirit. And here's the thing, you're not just free from the penalty of your sin, which I admit is an eternally large freedom, which is amazing. But it gets better. It's not the only thing that you are blessed with when it comes to your salvation. You are now free to become everything you were made to be. You're now liberated to become a new creation, a version of yourselves that looks a lot more like Jesus Christ. And how do you get this kind of freedom? You believe the gospel. Believe the gospel that you've been given, you've been forgiven an eternal debt, that you have an eternal inheritance by a Savior who eternally intercedes for you and a perfect Father who eternally delights in you. Stop striving so hard. Stop fighting so hard against the sin in your life. Don't miss this. The reason that you are still struggling with your sin is because you think struggling is a good solution. That's not how you have power and freedom. Struggling against your own sinfulness was never what saved you in the first place. So why do you think it's going to be the thing that will liberate you now? The problem is not that you ran out of strength. The problem is that somewhere along the line you stopped believing the gospel. When I'm dominated by worry or by fear, I stop believing the gospel. I stop believing that there is a God who holds everything in control. When, when I see something inappropriate with my eyes and I give it a second glance and I let it sink into my heart, I stop believing the gospel. I stop believing that God would give up everything for me to make me his own and he lives to eternally intercede for me and that he can truly satisfy. And he will provide for all of my needs. When, when I set my heart on someone else's possession and I'm filled with jealousy, it's because I stopped believing the gospel. I stopped believing that he who gave me his only son, won't he also with him freely give me all things? When I played a part in a destructive church conflict like, conflict like we see here in the Galatian churches, at some point it's because I stopped believing the gospel. At, at its core, sin essentially says, yeah, God, thank you so much, but like who you are and what you've done is not exactly what I need right now. Uh, you can try every religious system out there. Every form of religiosity, but they will all eventually fail you in your pursuit to become more holy and less sinful. Why? Because they keep pointing back to you as the Savior. Something that you are eternally inadequate to live up to. The only power you will ever have to overcome sin and see God at work in your life is the power that God graciously bestows to you through the Holy Spirit. Something you never accomplished or achieved in your own efforts in the first place. It's faith 
in what Jesus has already done for you, is actively doing for you, will eternally do for you, that will only ever be the correct antidote to the power of sin in your life. I ask you again, does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ. God's divine activity through you now comes through the same vehicle that it came to you through when you first believed. It's through your faith. The operative word here has nothing to do with striving or performance or trying or discipline or giving God my best. The operative word here is the exact opposite. It's the word believe. It is because you believe the message you heard about Christ. And what is this belief or faith placed in? The message about Christ is the gospel. When you believe the gospel, worry and fear are gone. Because you know the one who left the glories of heaven to make you his own? By paying this infinite price, he sure cares about all your needs and has an eternal capacity to care for you. Worry and fear are gone. Lust is gone because your hands are now open to receive the treasures of joy from the one who satisfies you with every good thing. Gossip is gone because you truly believe that you're important to God. I don't need to put somebody else down. In fact, that person is important to God. Bitterness is gone because I believe that all the ways that this person has wronged me and probably is still going to wrong me in the future, all of those have already been paid for by Jesus on the cross. Conflict, anger, destructive um, um, bitterness, it's all gone. Quarrels and division are gone because you believed and submitted to the Prince of Peace and you're allowing him to rule in this reign, and reign in this situation that you're currently experiencing. When I believe the gospel, that's when I see freedom in the Spirit. And when I stopped, everything starts to go wrong. The basis of sin is saying, I don't need you, God. Who you are, what you've done on my behalf is just not good enough. Every time you sin, you're doing it because that's the message you believe. The basis of faith is saying, I desperately need you, God. Only you can save me. Like you have already. Who you are, what you've done is enough. You're sufficient for everything that I need right now. And I'm done striving. I'm done holding so tightly to my own plan. I'm done trying to be my savior, I surrender to you because I actually believe the gospel. I believe what you have already done for me and what you're actively doing for me right now. You want to truly experience what it's like for God to work in you and do powerful things through this community, in your own life and in our collective lives together? You want to see the enemy put to flight? You want to see principalities humbled and brought to their knees? You want to see sin overcome in your own life? You want to see freedom and life and, and, and hope and liberty and joy in the Spirit? Start believing the gospel. This is the thing that sets us free. It's the only vehicle through which God ever delivered you. Why do you think he's going to do it a different way now? Freedom is the fruit that grows on the vine of faith. You have to believe the gospel. You're not going to taste freedom in the spirit without trusting the gospel when you hear it. I want to pause for a moment. 
You know, I recognize when I was speaking to a room like this, the ways in which this has become true in our own lives at times when we stop believing the gospel, the scenarios, the situations, the trigger moments where, where we went into savior mode, where we went into rebelling against God mode. It's going to be different for every person in this room. And so what I want to do is just give you an opportunity for God to speak to you and to reveal to you two things. Number one, ways in which we've gotten away from the gospel, gotten away from living by faith. And number two, I want to ask you to invite the Lord to remind you of the gospel all over again. I want to just give you a couple minutes to do that. Number one, ask God to convict you of ways that you've forgotten the gospel and you've begun to take control in your own life. And number two, I want to invite you to ask God to remind you of the gospel once again. And maybe he'll do that here in this moment right now. But maybe, and maybe even a more powerful way, he'll continue to do it every single day this week and this month and this year. And you're going to start seeing fruit in your life because that is the new lifestyle is living by faith. So I invite you to do some business with God right now. Oh, Father, bring us back to the truth of the gospel. Convict us of your love and your grace and your eternal faithfulness once again. I pray that we would cast down our self-sufficiency. That we would choose place of humility that is gratefully receiving all the riches and glories of heaven in Christ. And Father, I just pray that in the act of believing again, in the act of being persuaded by your gospel once again, in the act of being overcome by your love and your faithfulness and your grace, God, I pray that you spirits again, liberate us and give us freedom in the spirit. I pray that this world would see a divine expression of glory and grace in a new and a fresh way through this community, through each one of our lives. 
please don't let us get caught up in, under the spell of just doing things we've always, we've always done them and doing things just because it's sensational or there's a fun experience. Oh God, please bring us back to the point of the gospel. Remind us of our unworthiness. Remind us of your eternal love. Remind us of your infinite price. And remind us of your divine choice and glory and favor in our lives righteous in Christ. Bring us back to the gospel, God. Bring us back to the gospel. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.